Hello, and welcome to the 20th episode of the LI Law Podcast. I'm your host, Sahava Schechter. The premise of this podcast is to feature issues, developments, and topics affecting the law and how it relates to the 8 million of us who live and work on Long Island, New York, which includes Nassau, Suffolk, Queens, and Kings Counties. If you live or work on Long Island, this podcast on local and state legislative and judicial decisions is for you. Our guest on this 20th episode is Carl Gerardo, community activist for Nassau County Legislative District 8, as well as trustee of the Franklin Square Public Library, board member of the Central Nassau Rotary Club, a current Nassau County Corrections Officer, and a former volunteer firefighter, as well as a 9-11 hero. In this episode, Carl will discuss his experiences as a Nassau County Correction Officer and his suggestions for prison reform, as well as the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund. Please check out the show notes for Carl's contact information, and keep in mind that we will not be providing legal advice to any specific questions. Carl, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me again. Yes. uh, If you have not yet heard last week's episode on the town of Hempstead elections. Uh, You definitely want to hear Carl had some fabulous things to say. So let's start, Carl. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, basically, I uh, have lived in Franklin Square my entire life. I was a volunteer fireman for 28 years. I am a Nassau County Correction Officer. I am currently out on uh, 9-11 sick leave because I have uh, six illnesses related to... uh, 9-11. 9-11. We're going we're gonna to get to 9-11. But first, let's talk about your work as a corrections officer. Okay. I, I don't want to date you, but... Uh, I've been when, there about... Tw- I'm going to be at the jail about 25 years. How, how did you get into that line of work? How did you decide to become a corrections officer? I passed officer? the test. <laughs> okay. Basically, basically what, what happened. Um, when I was younger and working for Nassau County, the, the thing was, you know, take as many civil service tests as came up. So I took it and I passed and it sounded interesting. So I took the job in 1995. And have you been at one facility the whole time? Well, there is only one facility. It's only in East Meadows, the Nassau County Jail behind uh, the medical center. And who are the persons who are incarcerated there? Are they pre, pre-trial, post-trial? Well, there's, there's everything. I mean, uh, it's a jail, not a prison. So just for the differentiation, a jail is anyone sentenced up to a year. But there are people who are on trial longer than that. We have people that come down from upstate. I mean, it's a mishmash of everything you can imagine. There's pretrial, there's civil, you name it, it's going to go through the Nassau County Jail. And how many people are incarcerated there? Well, technically... We are the largest county facility in the state of New York. We used to have, when I started, we had uh, over uh, 2,800 inmates at, at that point. Now I think about 1,000 because it's too expensive to incarcerate, so it's easier to uh, low bail and no bail. Low bail or no bail, especially when they're not a, necessarily a danger yes. to the community. And how many corrections officers are there? Well, well now, there used to be about 1,100. There's about 800. Now we have a large uh, attrition. So wait, 800 corrections officers for about 1,000 inmates. Yeah. So it's almost one-to-one. Yes. It used to be a two-to-one ratio. It used to be almost a two-to-one ratio, but not, now it's about it's a little less than one-to-one. And you mentioned an attrition rate. Uh, do people not want to be corrections officers well, anymore? No, I mean, you do a lot. I mean, I'm going to be there 25 years, but people get hurt. 
Uh, there's a lot of injuries. There's a lot of assaults that occur. Assaults in a, in a, by the inmates? By the inmates uh, on officers in a correction facility. It's it's the dangerous, It's the most dangerous place in Nassau County to work. Even though when you talk about someone who is sentenced to one year, you're not really talking about dangerous acts. You're not talking about murder. You're not talking about burglary well, or robbery. Well, we have murderers general. there. They're on trial. Do we have... Oh. We, yeah. I mean, anybody that's on trial is going to stay there. I worked... In the behavioral management unit, I worked with the worst of the worst inmates in the facility before I got sick. Uh, I mean, you had everybody, every violent act, every, uh, you know, act with body fluids, everything. It was, it's, it's not, it's not a cupcake place to work. So let's talk about a typical work day for you in your, in your work day. What, what would you do? Well, I worked midnight, so my responsibility was, uh, you know, making sure no one <laughs> escaped overnight. And, you know, in the mornings, you get them up, uh, f- get them fed for get ready for court. You know, that was my basic job on the midnight. Days is much more involved when they have to move people for visiting. They have to move them for rec, rec periods. and. Did you court. do that work as well? I, I had done that. Yeah, sure. I've, I worked in several different areas in the facility over the last 25 years. But uh, people's perception of what goes on there is very skewed. They watch TV too much. It's not television is not reality. What goes on in a correctional facility? I mean, we have stabbings, we have slashings, we have a lot. There's a lot of gangs in Nassau County, which people will not believe, but there are. So wait a minute. How do you have? I'm going to sound naive. How do you have stabbings if uh, presumably that's contraband to have a knife? You can make it. They make it out of a, out of a, they can make it out of anything. We have the most creative inmates you will ever see. The stuff that they can make out of nothing is incredible. So is that the school of crime? Well, there's it is it is a it is a, a college of uh, dubious knowledge. Yeah, I would say. But yeah, we've had uh, uh, toothbrushes turned into shanks, batteries turned into razor blades. You know, the, they're very industrious. If they. If they took a tenth of the knowledge they used to create this stuff and created something out in the real world, they'd be millionaires. Your work as a corrections officer, did that involve rehabilitation at all? Or were you just well, making sure, as you said, that they didn't escape well, and that they were safe? I worked, uh, I worked in uh, the areas that uh, dealt with uh, what's called DART. It's a program for drug and alcohol. So it was a drug and alcohol rehabilitation, I got it out, tier, which was, uh, it was, you know, 12-step programs, they had to go to school. It was a very structured environment for those. Now now we have diversion courts, which a lot of them go to. Would you say that most of the crimes which were committed by the inmates had a basis in some kind of substance abuse? Well, it would depend on the crime. I mean, a lot of pettit larcenies and some, you know, drug abuse, but there's a lot of mental health issues in the facility, which is a problem. Can you tell us about that? Well, it, a lot of times we treat the crime, not the problem. This is going to be very controversial for those that are in corrections, but there's a lot of people that don't need to be there. They need to be in a hospital. They shouldn't be behind bars. It's just going to make matters worse. I dealt with a lot of mental health inmates when I worked tears, and they belong in a, a hospital, not in a jail. So is our problem partially due to the closing of various uh, psychiatric facilities? I think a lot of it has to do with budgeting. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's no money available. It's very expensive to 
house people either incarcerated in a jail or in a mental health facility. What do you think of for-profit prisons? Absolutely do not agree with it. Why? Because their ultimate goal is to make money. So is their ultimate goal to incarcerate as many people as possible because they get paid by the head? Is that the issue? Well, if you've noticed, you've had uh, for pay uh, child prisons and stuff where the judges were paid off to put people in their low, you know, everything is at the discretion of the judge, whether it's the bails and everything else. So if they're told, well, we're overcrowded, they're not going to crowd the jail when some people should be incarcerated. I think we need more... Uh, intervention prior to sentencing you need some more social workers involved some more mental health because some people like with the opioid crisis we have going on right now like I said uh, I've told people people don't wake up in the morning say today I'm gonna be a heroin addict and get involved. it's a slow burn and that's what happens with a lot of the inmates that I've seen come back they had a problem they got hurt they needed their drugs and they wind up in jail they don't belong there. They belong in a hospital getting treatment for their addiction. Oh, let me ask you, do you see marijuana as a gateway drug? No, I don't. Actually, I don't. I've seen many people that have cancer issues and uh, others. Even recreational marijuana. I'm on the fence on that, truthfully. I believe for medical purposes, it's, it should be absolutely available. It should be not. There should not be a problem with that. Recreational, I'm on the fence with that, you know, because uh, I believe in progress. You know, I'm progressive. But I am in law enforcement. I have to look at things realistically. I mean, I've ne- truthfully, I never met a violent pothead. <laughs> truthfully, uh, everyone I've ever dealt with that's had a drug issue is usually some serious stuff. But alcohol is a gateway drug. Right. Everything's a gateway. You never know what somebody's going to do. I, I hear you. Let's go back to corrections. Sure. When you were on the tier, you don't carry a weapon, right? No. The only thing we have is uh, OC, you know, pepper spray. That's what we, that, and that's only been in the last few years. Prior to that, you know, it's so you got a correction. Wait, let me ask you: Can an inmate take that pepper spray away from you? Not if I have anything to say about it. <laughs> okay. Um, no, we we have it hol- holstered on our body. But um, when you're a correction officer, it's more your law enforcement. You're a priest. You're a social worker. You're a doctor. Sometimes, I mean. You're a jack of all trades. People don't understand how difficult being a correction officer is. It is the mo- it is as they call it the redheaded stepchildren of law enforcement because you know we're not respected the way a police officer is, but we work harder than the most of the intelligence that comes out the police get come from the jail. Oh, meaning the corrections officers were able to provide information. Oh, to yeah, law we have a gang intelligence unit, which is which was the first before Nassau County Police. We were tracking gangs long before the police department were. We have a you know criminal investigation unit uh, that, you know, when crimes that are going on within the jail or uh, people, you know, people, we have inmates will rat, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll... I thought a snitch is the worst thing to be. If they can get time off their sentence, they'll, they'll talk. I see. So what are some uh, areas of reform which you think are viable as someone on the inside. I believe, well, the one of the greatest things I think they did was raise the age. Uh, one of the hard, the most... Ra- the age of what? The, from 16 to, you know, they raised it. Because when you, the, when you turned 16, you used to go to big boy jail. You know, you were no longer in detention. You were going to real jail. Oh. And from 16 to 21, those are the worst inmates to deal with. The minors, the minor inmates. Are because? The worst. Because they are the most violent. 
they want to prove something and they cause the most problems. So with the raise the age, getting the younger inmates out of, uh, you know, an adult jail and getting them more towards where they need to be. Where, where do they go if they're under? Well, they'll go to deten- they'll go to detention unless it's a serious crime. You know, if it's if it's a f- major felony, obviously they're going to go to real jail. But a lot of times we were getting you know misdemeanors and petty loss, and you know, and they're sixteen years old. They come into our facility, then they want to be a big you know they want to be a big tough guy, and they get involved in the gangs more, and it becomes a vicious cycle. But a lot of things I think that need to be reformed is we need better mental health, better screening of inmates when they come in. For mental health issues because a lot of times an inmate will come in and they're in 72 hour and they don't have their medications they don't have their psych drugs they're detoxing it's it's a problem it becomes a big issue safety wise not only for the inmate but for the officers as well and probably for the other inmates as well oh absolutely Absolutely. You don't want anybody on your on your floor that's detoxing. It's a not, <laughs> you're never going to sleep because they're going to be screaming all night. Because it all comes down to money. If some it, Everything comes down to how much money uh, in overtime it's going to cost because they never... They never budget properly for any any governmental, never budgets properly for b- overtime and stuff. There were times, guys, we get ordered, not we can't go home because they ha- we have mandated post coverages. And guys, I want to go home. I just, you know, I worked all night. No, I'm sorry, you're stuck. You're getting ordered to work. Post coverage is like a lockdown? No, post coverage is uh, a floor, say, for argument's sake, has to have five officers. And they don't have enough officers coming in to cover that post. Somebody's either going to work voluntary overtime or get ordered to work. See, when I first started the facility in 95, we had so many inmates and so little officers, I got ordered every single day. So I was working 16 hours every day when I first started. So it, hap- it happens, and it still happens, where guys get ordered to work. And now you, now you have guys that are don't want to be there. They're stuck. It's not good for the offices. It's not good for anybody. So That's how problems what, happen. What would bring a correction? What would bring someone to decide to become a corrections officer? Let's talk about some of the positive uh, attributes. Well, it, the pension, the health Well, insurance. I mean, uh, working for Nassau County, you're in a state pension system, which is important. I'm a tier four. Now there's a tier six where you pay into your pension system. I look at it this way. It's like any civil service job. You take it for the right reason. Some people will take it for money. Some people take it for the fact that they're law enforcement. Some people take it because they passed the test and it's a job. You know, it all depends on the person. I took it because, yes, I passed the test, but I saw an opportunity. I was young. And I said, you know what? This sounds interesting. You know, the pension was good. Does that still apply today to to a young person who's looking for a career? Well, it's hard to get um, people to take the job. It really is. It's hard. Is it hard to pass the test? No, the te- it's not so much that. It's the pay because you're, you start at such a low salary, but you're never really going to make your base salary anyway with overtime and everything else. But it's... What is the base salary now? Uh, I believe it's still 25000 but I'm not 100% sure. Um, that would seem very low for that it is, level but of work. You remember, you're going to be getting overtime. You're going to be getting, you know, holiday and night differential. So you're never really going to make that pay. But it's a turnoff if somebody's at a job, say, making thirty-five thousand in the private sector, and then they could get the job making. T- why would you take a ten thousand dollar cut in pay? Because especially for for a dangerous and correct. difficult job, it's a very it's very stressful. 
Uh, there's a lot of alcohol problems on the job because it's of the stress. There's a lot of mental health issues on it because it's you're locked up just like they are. I, I t- I'm doing life on a, on a piecemeal program. One day, you know, I get to go home a little bit and come back. You know, it's just how it is. It, it's, uh, it's a tough, tough job. And there needs to be more resources for the officers as well. Because if the officers don't have resources to go to, if they're having problems at home, or, it just it culminates in problems at work. Let's change gears a little sure. bit. And you were a 9-11 responder. Yes, I was. And how did that come about? Well, uh, the day the, uh, of the attack, I had just gotten home from my midnight tour, and uh, I was watching the news when it happened. So uh, at that time, uh, when I was in the fire department, I was a lieutenant, uh, and we're down at the firehouse. Uh, the attack had happened. Everyone got mobilized. and uh, We're talking about the attack on the, the World Trade World Center. World Trade Center, correct, on 9-11. And uh, during that week, different things happened. But what happened is, towards the end, uh, towards that first week, they were calling in Nassau County Volunteer Fire Departments into uh, Ground Zero to help with the recovery. Uh, so what happened was that, uh, that was to see if they could find any survivors. Yes, correct. They were still in the recovery phase that first week. So that uh, that Saturday of uh, that week, we got called in for a heavy rescue unit, which is a large rescue. This truck. is Franklin Square. Franklin Square, yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was the officer, and I brought in uh, five other guys, and we went in. We got brought down to Ground Zero, and uh, for the what did you see? <laughs> uh, I uh, <laughs> it was um, very surreal. I remember getting out of uh, the rescue truck, out of the cab, and stepping on the ground. It felt like I was stepping on the surface of the moon from all the dust, and my boot prints just sitting there in the in the dust that was there uh, was very memorable. Um, the one thing I remember most was how quiet things got when you thought you heard something and some someone would say we heard something and everybody hundreds of people would just go silent to see if they, they could see hear, if a they could hear a tapping or something like that and you know the the digging you know just doing the bucket brigades of moving debris and the, the how many people were there Oh, I couldn't even calculate how many. There was so many people digging. Volunteers who came. Well, there were volunteer firemen. There were city firemen. There were police. There was everybody. There were chiropractors there that set up chiropractic chairs to give adjustments for those of us that were digging for hours just to give us, you know, comfort stations they had just to keep us, you know, moving. And uh, there was so there was so many different aspects. And the first week, the hardest part, yeah, obviously, was, you know, uh, no one the dust and all this. So no one, the air was clear. Everything's fine. Well, we all know that how that went. But it was, it was a, it was a rough, it was a rough time. I have uh, forty six hours of exposure. So that brings us to not only your health issues, but the issues involving the nine eleven victims compensation fund, which is wonderful, by the way. I have to say, uh, the victims compensation fund and all that was fun, was wonderful. The only issue I had was with uh, New York New York State did a wonderful thing. They passed a bill, a bipartisan bill, a few years ago with, uh, it was Senator Todd Kaminsky 
and uh, Senator Marty Golden from Brooklyn. They passed a, a bill that allowed uh, anyone that was uh, in the New York State uh, pension system, if you had a 9-11 related illness, you were entitled to uh, unlimited sick leave because a lot of us were burning time because I got sick in 2016. So hold on, from mm -hmm. 2001 until 2016, your health was good? No. What, it was a progression. A lot of times you don't understand uh, things are a progression of illnesses and you don't, I had a, I was getting constant um, sinusitis, you know, sinus infections to the point where I was getting them every few weeks. It was getting ridiculous. So my uh, ENT and ever since, this is, this, this makes no sense. It, 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 but, but you didn't connect. The doctor didn't no, connect he it. No, con he connected it eventually. And then I registered. Um, my old firehouse was doing a registration. I registered for, you know, the health program. And uh, once I got registered for the health program and I went down and they did a, a comprehensive evaluation of my history of every time I got sick, what I was getting sick. They, 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 the World Trade Center Health Program is amazing. So, okay, so let's go back to Todd Kaminsky mm -hmm. and Golden. Mm -hmm. um, they passed and, the sick and the leave un bill. unlimited sick bill. You have a special status, though, because you were the first well, non-police officer to qualify. Well, what happened, was, what happened was the bill passed, and um, Suffolk County gave it to all their employees without question. How about New York City? New York City. Uh, gave it to the police and fire. EMS, who is not who is not considered a uniform service, was not entitled to it. They they have since got it. Uh, New York State, the court officers were not covered, uh, but they are now. Nassau County only was covering the police, and the way they interpreted it originally was, and I think there was a lot of miscommunication that went on. They were covering, if you came from New York City as a police officer and came to Nassau County, you'd be covered. But the law was very simple. And I started, uh, I, I actually, I um, spoke before the New York State uh, Senate Subcommittee on Pensions and Everything to tell them what happened. I mean, I went into no pay status. I had a choice between paying. Wait, why were you not covered under Because the county's response was, if we didn't send you, we're not going to pay you. Because the argument was, who's going to pay for the sick leave? Even though the bill was quite clear that the state reimburses. Wait, I don't understand. When mm -hmm. you were called in to ground zero as a volunteer fireman, as a volunteer fireman who called you in? Uh, Nassau County. So Nassau County did call you in. But my job didn't send me. So their argument was, you work for the sheriff's department. The sheriff's department didn't send you. Oh, wait. The sheriff's department supervises the firefighters? No, 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 no. Oh, supervises My job for Nassau County oh, okay. is as a correction officer. Nassau County said, you went as a volunteer fireman. You're on your own. Okay. So I fought this for quite some time. And uh, But basically what happened was, I was in no pay status for a while. I had a choice between paying for health insurance or paying my mortgage. It was getting a bit crazy. Eventually, after two years of fighting uh, with not so much help from a lot of people, there was some people, there was debate, did it have to be uh, a local law? Did the legislators have to sign? I had bipartisan people, you know, so everybody wanted to say credit if they were going to put a bill forward because in Nassau County, I was the only non-police officer who was 
going to get this deal. I was the first one that was sick. Wait, there were and no I, other corrections officers who were volunteer firefighters? Nobody was out permanently ill like I was. Okay. I couldn't go back to work. That's the problem. See, there are guys who have been sick who are registered but are not getting unlimited sick leave. Registered they for the work. fund? No, no, not the fund. The law. The law. Okay. The sick leave law. The fund is federal. That has nothing to do with the law. Too many, too many jurisdictions. Too many, too many jurisdictions. We're, we're talking exclusively with the New York State uh, 9-11 sick leave. So people um, were sick, you know, normal sick. They didn't think. Of, I was the first one who couldn't go back to work because the jail has recirculated air. I was constantly getting sick and infections, and I couldn't function. What happened was I met with the Senate. The Senate was like, this is clear. It's very clear. Nassau County was still giving me a bit of a hard time because everybody wanted to do a legislative bill and make it all a big press thing. I just wanted to get paid. Mm -hmm. Eventually, I got it through uh, some legislators who were very helpful. Uh, Kerry Asselage was very helpful. Uh, my legislator claimed he was going to be helpful but didn't do anything. But it finally got on the desk of the county attorney. Who is it? Uh, um, Tamra? Uh, no, I don't know who the, the county attorney is right now, truthfully. Um, but he said it's very clear. Why isn't it being taken care of? So I met with you know, so county HR. Now my, my, my department has its own personal HR. And I come to find out my department nor my union had filed any paperwork for me, even though they had a, a stipulation agreement originally before the law even went into effect. I did it myself. And uh, through supplying the proper paperwork from the state retirement system that I, you know, uh, presumption of this, all the proper legal paperwork that's necessary, they finally started to pay me my full salary because I was on half pay. What year was that? Just recently. Just recently, I finally got it. I was on half pay for about a, a year, which the prior sheriff refused to approve. The new sheriff, when she got in, it approved my uh, half pay status. But now I'm slowly getting the money back to when I originally went retroactively in small increments. But uh, the counties, you know, this is, with anything, it's bureaucracy. But uh, what happened was, um, since I was able to move this ball forward this year on 9/11, 2019, 2019, they put out all the guidelines for everyone in Nassau County how they can uh, register for the 9-11 uh, unlimited sick leave. So other people who were affected, whose health was affected, whose work life was affected, are now people going to be covered based because you stood up and fought for what was necessary. Well, yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to... And thank you for that. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's, you know, um, I, there are people that are taking sick leave and for things... And they have that illness. They have a certified illness. Now they're realizing, now they're putting in for all their sick leave back. Mm. So, you know, I took, you know, 10 sick days last month. And because I had this X, Y, and Z, now they're putting in for it and getting it back. So it's, it's, it's not so much that they're out permanently, but when they use it, they're getting reimbursed back. So that's important. So they have that availability they God have forbid. that cushion well now they know they don't have because money guys at least on my job when when you start burning your sick time you get worried because you don't want to go into no pay statuses they would come to work sick now they know 
they can take care of themselves. They can get the help they need, the doctor, and not worry about burning up their time. Mm-hmm. What about what about the other uh, volunteer firefighters who went in with you from Franklin Square? Are they well? Um, no, they they have illnesses. Uh, no, I'm probably the worst off uh, of the group I brought in. There's other guys in the firehouse that went, you know, through the police department and everything that who are, are pretty sick as well. But as far as the guys I brought in, I'm the first that's worst because I have a lot of lung issues. Other guys have different things, but uh, now they all have certified, uh, also have certified illnesses as well. Well, I thank you so much for your service, and I'm, you. I'm sorry that it's turned out this way. Now the the, uh, the compensation fund is the, now funded. There's a droga bill. Yes, absolutely. That's thank through, God. That's through Congress. Thank God. And that's it for our 20th episode. Thank you, Carl, for coming on the podcast today. And to our listeners, be sure to download this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please rate us, hopefully five stars, with a review that might start. I just heard on the LI Law podcast that downtown Potchog is one of the top four communities in the country on the list of the 2019 great places in America because of its transformation from a sleepy village to a vibrant community with shops bars, entertainment, and nightlife. Congratulations, Patchog. The LI Law Podcast lets you know what's going on on Long Island and is your podcast for local tips which educate and entertain. Thanks for listening.